Welcome to The Unconventional Path, entrepreneurship and innovation stories and ideas. Hello, I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Hey, Mike. Today, we're excited to be joined by Dean Icovetti. Dean is the founder of Vanta Partners. His company finds software talent for small to medium-sized businesses. He started his career in a large company and then took the big step of starting his own business. It was an interesting conversation I had with Dean. It's filled with lots of good tips for recruiting and finding employees, and also a little bit about his story in starting his business. Yeah, Bela, I agree. It was a really interesting story about kind of his background and where he came from and how he got to where he is. So let's get right to it and give it a listen. Hello, listeners. Today, my guest is Dean Icavetti. Uh, he's an entrepreneur uh, who has started his own business, and uh, he's been pretty successful at it. Uh, and it comes uh, in starting that business after uh, some trials and tribulations of doing uh, some other things. So I think uh, we're going to have a nice, interesting conversation today, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, welcome to the show, Dean. Uh, thank you so much. So, Dean, let me ask you a question. Uh, if you are at a social event, and uh, it's a social event that's not within your normal circle of, of people you hang out with, and you get introduced to somebody new and they say, oh, nice to meet you, Dean. And then they say, Dean, what do you do? How do you answer that question? Sure. So uh, I'm Dean. I own Vanta Partners, which is a staffing and recruiting agency where we mainly specialize in software developers and engineers. Uh, we, can, we can do anything. We can place any role. But uh, the bread and butter and the bulk of our business are for software developers and engineers. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. So that's, that's pretty understandable. Uh, so that's, that's, uh, excellent. And, uh, so let, let's just dive into this. You know, we're recording this on, uh, uh, June 18th, I guess it is. Uh, we're still sort yeah. of in this COVID, uh, crisis. How has COVID impacted recruiting and companies looking for individuals and hiring individuals? Sure. So uh, my company, Vanta Partners, again, specifically uh, deals with developers and engineers. And in any company, regardless of industry, uh, if they want to remain at the top of their game, they're going to need developers and engineers. So the slowdown in the industry uh, recruiting hasn't been uh, crazy. You know, it was a little bit of a slowdown as companies were like, hey, let's figure out and see where uh, we're going as far as the numbers uh, and things of that nature, but it hasn't been uh, a ridiculous slowdown like I'm hearing in many other industries. So has the type of people they're looking for changed? How do you mean? Well, are they looking for different skill sets? Are they looking at uh, different geographies? Uh, you know, are the characteristics no, um, and specifications changed? Yeah, actually, let me take that back. So you'll see now, or what I'm seeing in the industry is, I had a lot of clients before who were very, um, uh, very specific clients that wanted individuals in the office. They, they needed these people in the office to promote the camaraderie or, uh, you know, they figured they could get things done a little bit quicker if everybody was in the office and had a, an impromptu uh, water cooler talk. Now with this forced remote uh, this forced remote situation going through COVID, a lot of these clients are now realizing, hey, we can do this remote. It's actually a little bit easier. So whereas before a lot of the clients were uh, extremely difficult to get them to be open to remote employees, now they're actually approaching me saying, hey, 
Uh, can Vanta find us some remote folks? They don't, they don't any longer need to be in our office in Troy, New York, or in our office in New York City. Uh, they could really be across the country if they're willing to, uh, you know, work the hours depending on the time zone and things of that nature. Yeah, yeah. So as a recruiter, so, so it has it has changed a little bit. Yeah. So uh, employers are much more open to remote workers. It sounds like, and so to, very has, much so. Has that made your job more challenging, or has it has it made it easier? Uh, that's a great question. In my opinion, it's making it a little bit easier. Uh, because now the pool of candidates that I'm searching for and the pool of candidates that I'm looking through has been increased, you know, 20 fold because I'm looking at the country rather than that one specific area or that one specific location. Uh, so now I'm much more focused on, uh, skill set regardless of location. Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm a small business owner, uh, and let's say I have a software business and I'm, I'm developing some software products. Uh, why do I want to uh, hire you uh, or, you know, someone similar to you uh, to do my recruiting and to find some employees as yep. opposed to running some ads and the whole, you know, various different uh, social media posts and other ways that I can do it. Uh, what are the advantages? Sure. I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I'll answer that in a couple of different ways. Well, one, you mentioned if you're a software company, uh, you know, why would you use a recruiter? I think you answered that in the question. You're a software company. Uh, you're not, uh, you don't have specialization in bring, bringing talent in. That's where I come in. I have the specialization in going after that talent. Uh, and this, the part of this answer will, will take care of the other part of your question. Why wouldn't you run an ad uh, in your local paper or somewhere like that? I grew up uh, sort of in the old school way of recruiting in the early 2000s where uh, Monster, Career Builder, Dice, these were all the rage in finding candidates quickly and being able to place those candidates. Uh, where I was taught was I wasn't allowed to use any of those job boards. I was taught that the uns were on there, the unwanted, the unhappy, and the unemployed. And even though you could make some quick hits from placing those individuals, they most likely were not gonna last for the long run. So I had to physically go out and meet with people uh, I had to email folks. I had to follow up with phone calls. Uh, so I was a real networker. And I guess the, the previous term of recruiter was headhunter. I would actually go out and, and speak with individuals, uh, you know, kneecap to kneecap to get to know them, to build a relationship where I might not place that person that I've met in a year, but I would eventually be able to uh, present them with opportunities that may be a fit for them. My bread and butter is in creating the relationships and looking at passive seekers. Uh, Bella, these are individuals that are not on any job boards. In fact, they're not even looking. Uh, they're gonna trust a recruiter like myself to understand what would be ideal for them. If I come across that quote unquote ideal situation for them, I present it to them and it's really up to them whether or not they'll have interest in moving forward. So, uh, you know, the beauty of my, my career is I don't sell anything. Uh, you know, I simply tell people about opportunities and if they're interested that that's where I come in and help them move forward. Yeah. And, and so what are the ways in which you, uh, assist? Let's first focus on the employer. Let's focus on the, on the yeah. company, right? So I'm a small business. I don't have an HR department, right? I don't have a recruiting department. I don't have any of that stuff. There's just four of us. 
and I need to hire mm-hmm. four more people. You know, so in what ways can you help me uh, accomplish that task? Yeah, so we'll first go through uh, your business and determine what it is really you need, why you think you need that, right? Many times when there's a smaller business, a client will think they need one thing and deal with an experienced recruiter and agency like myself and Vanta Partners, and they'll decide, you know what? It actually isn't a project manager that I need. I need a uh, director of web development, uh, somebody that can straddle uh, technology as well as uh, you know, being able to bring things through uh, production and, and, and through a project. So many times it's dealing with the client to figure out what they think they need and what their ultimate goal of hiring that person would be. Got it. Got it. And then uh, after we sit down and do that and we sort of get the job specs, right, we sort of get the positions defined, uh, then what happens yep. next? We'll take down the requirements. So we'll take down the requirements. We'll agree to terms. Uh, typically, it's a 25% fee off of the base salary with a 90-day guarantee. Um, and we'll go out and we'll, you know, Vanta will start sourcing these folks. Uh, it's, you know, a little bit of a, a funnel uh, where we'll go out and cast a wide net uh, and really hone in on what it is that is going to be ideal, not only for the client, but also for the candidate. And I think that's one of the things that separates Vanta from a lot of other agencies where we're not just throwing candidates at the client. We're really uh, getting into the psyche of what the culture's like uh, for the client. Does that culture fit with what the candidate's looking for? So we'll funnel it down from, you know, making numbers up, let's say 50 sourced individuals to, uh, you know, 30 that get back to you to 10 that you actually think would be a good fit to five that you're actually submitting. So it's definitely that funnel approach. And the way that I look at this, I'll give away a secret of of my recruiting advanced partners now is I look in different buckets, right? The buckets that I'll recruit in are initially who do I know, right? Who are my go-to folks for this opportunity uh, that are the passive seekers? Then I'll go to a different bucket and and look at my network. Uh, You know, do the individuals that I think who would have been a good, uh, a good fit for this role, who do they know, right? I'm I'm constantly working the referral network uh, and that's where the bulk of the business gets built up. Very rarely is it going to be somebody on that first call that's like, Dean, you you hit it out of the park. That's the perfect role for me. Uh, it's like, hey, you know what? I'm actually still happy, but I know, uh, you know, this individual was uh, expressing to me a couple weeks ago that they'd, st- they'd like to start looking. Here you go. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And uh, and then once uh, once you introduce some candidates to me as a company, right, and I, I maybe have an interview with them, do you help in the interview yep. process or any of that stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So I walk hand in hand with the candidate through the entire process. A lot of this is going to depend on the client, how involved they want Vanta partners to be. But since they're paying a fee, they like us pretty involved, right? So we'll handle all of the scheduling, uh, whether it be a phone screen, a Zoom call, a Google Hangouts call, a face-to-face. We'll handle all of that back and forth from initial uh, exploratory call to interview to face-to-face through offer. Uh, so many times we're also negotiating the offer uh, for these individuals. I always say, hey, uh, before recruiting, uh, I went through law school. I'm a certified negotiator. I've literally closed thousands of deals in my career. So, uh, 
you know, you're definitely in good hands from the negotiation piece uh, when it comes to your salary and benefits and total comp package. Right, right. Very so nice. So we helped through the whole, we helped through the whole process. Yeah, yeah. And then from a from a candidate's perspective, what are the advantages for me of getting connected with a recruiter like yourself? Yeah, that's a great question, actually. So uh, I started Vanta Partners because of a little bit of a lackluster uh, experience that I had in going through uh, getting hired. So prior to Vanta, I was at an awesome company called Apprenda. Uh, We were a platform as a service company headquartered in Troy, New York, with offices all across the world. I helped build that company from 26 folks to about 150 uh, in 2017, we were looking at starting to exit uh, Apprenda, and I started to look for opportunities for myself. Takes us through 2018, where I really stepped it up, and I had a friend walk my resume into the hiring manager or the human resource individual at a specific company, and I never heard from them. Uh, you know, let's say I applied online to six companies that I thought would benefit from my skills and I would be a great addition to that company. I heard from maybe one or two with a a blast response or a blanket response. So in my opinion, they were taking the human out of human resources. So I sat down and I said, wow, this is not a great experience. I have, uh, you know, my wife's phenomenal. She's a stay at home mom. We have three kids. Uh, You know, I'm going through a little bit of a stressful time here. And I just want, who's that lifeline, right? I applied to these roles. Can I get somebody to at least call me back and say, hey, you're not a fit for these reasons. So I can heavy up on those reasons or learn uh, how to get better. So I started Vanta Partners with all of that in mind, where even if my candidate wasn't a fit or got turned down, uh, the term now is called ghosting, where you just don't get back to them. I would never do that. I'm going to call them and say, hey, Steve, you're not a good fit for these reasons. Here's what we need to do to get better. So that that's one of the main reasons why I started Vanta Partners. So when you ask how a candidate benefits from our services, again, we partner with them and walk them hand in hand through the entire process from, hey, your resume looks like crap to, to, to fixing it up and presenting it in the best way, uh, you know, not only format wise, but also content wise to uh, making these introductions to many of the executives where, again, these people are applying and they're not even getting an email back saying, got your resume, super busy, we'll get back to you. So that's the real benefit where I, I often teeter the line between being annoying and, and pushing for feedback. But, you know, that's just the game of recruiting. Yeah, that's an excellent point. You know, this notion about the feedback. And, and, you know, you apply to these, whether it be a job board or whether it be an ad in, on, on some LinkedIn or something like that, and you get nothing back. You get back radio yeah. silence. So this notion of feedback of saying, hey, you're not a good match here. Here's how things you can work on. Or here's some skill sets you should improve, you know, and then let's go revisit this in six months. Uh, I think yeah. that's really important. And as an individual looking for a job, you really don't get that feedback unless you're connected with someone like yourself. Absolutely agree. Yeah. So how has, uh, in, over time, how has what uh, employer employees, potential employees, 
what are they looking for? How has that changed? In other words, their sort of total compensation, not just their salary, right? But the total compensation package. What's sort of the hot things right now? What are sort of the things that are sort of, you know, fading and what are things that are on the rise? Sure. So, uh, you know, um, a couple of years ago, actually, when I first started in recruiting, you could get candidates hired on a phone call. That's how hot the market was. Uh, that's how quickly the market moved. If an individual was vetted by me, a recruiter, and that client truly trusted the recruiter, we could get individuals hired on a phone call. The market shifted a bit where it changed from phone call to phone call plus a panel interview, phone call plus interview, plus meeting the team, plus background check, plus drug screen. Uh, so it really depends on the individual client. As far as what the candidate is looking for, uh, you know, a bunch of years ago, it was, hey, I'm super excited about this open environment, this startup mentality. Does that company have a foosball table and a, and a keg and free drinks and free, uh, you know, alcoholic beverages for after work and a gym and all that stuff? And every company jumped on the bandwagon and, and had all that. And now, in my opinion, it's shifting a little bit where, OK, great. Um, your foosball table and your keg and your cool kitchen doesn't make the culture uh, the executives do, the employees do, the camaraderie, uh, the uh, management by performance, the uh, flexibility in work schedule. So those are things outside of compensation that a lot of these candidates are, are looking for. So uh, another example of that is, um, listen, you know, there's really no hours in the day for our company if you, you know, we, have, and again, we're, we're talking specifically, let's say about software developers and engineers, you need to be on this nine o'clock uh, standup call. Um, but after that, you know, you could have either done that via phone, Skype, you know, whatever the dial in was, you don't have to physically be there. And then you could work till nine, 10 o'clock at night, or if all your work's done in a few hours, you know, take a little bit of time off and, and enjoy some time with your family or what have you. So from a candidate perspective, what they're looking for has definitely evolved. Um, I mean, both have evolved, right? Client side and candidate side. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting how that's changed. You know, I've been, I've been in the workforce for 45 years and uh, it, it, it really is interesting how there's been an evolution in sort of what uh, employers expect and what employees expect. And, you know, my son's a great example. One of my sons is a software developer and he works for a company and he works remotely and he's, he's worked remotely now for three years. Uh, yep. and, and he lives relatively close to where the company is. So he goes to the office like once a week, but the other four days he's working from home. And, and with yeah, his- you want to be able to go back to that office, you know, once a week to feel the, the passion and the energy, but you know, the world is so remote now you could basically work from the moon and it wouldn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. So it really is interesting. So let's take a step back, Dean. Let, let's go back to a little bit about your personal history. So where did you grow sure. up? Uh, I grew up in Long Island uh, in a town called Lawrence, uh, better known as the five towns in Nassau County. Uh, pretty blue collar family. My father worked for Northwest Airlines as a baggage handler. And my mother was a teacher's aide at our high school. I uh, have an older brother, Perry who has uh, opened up his own orthodontistry practice. And growing up blue collar, you know, your, your parents always want the next generation, you know, their kids to be better off than they were. So uh, my dad being a laborer his whole life always pushed school. 
you know, the more school, the better go to, you know, make obviously graduate high school, then college, then professional school after that. So hearing that almost every day for your whole childhood growing up, uh, my older brother, Perry, uh, went to NYU, graduated uh, and went on to uh, dental school there. Uh, I was going to Towson University in Maryland. Uh, it was the only school that I got into out of, uh, out of high school, so chose to go there. Uh, didn't really choose to go there. It was kind of forced to go there again. It was the only school I got into and uh, really you know, came into my own at Towson, became a good student, uh, figured out how to study, figured out how to really take tests and understand what the teachers were asking me to do was graduating Towson in 1995 and had no clue what I wanted to do. Um, I was just, I just was lost. I felt like a fish out of water, just flopping around and not having any idea what I wanted to do. So I spoke to my dad who said, uh, listen, you love to talk. You love to argue with me. Try law school. You know, what family doesn't want a, a lawyer and a doctor in the family, right? So ah, what, what the hell, you know, let me give it a shot. I applied to University of Baltimore. I was already down in Maryland and established and loved it down there. Uh, so got into the University of Baltimore, went there from um, 1999 when I graduated from, from Towson. I graduated UB a year early with a master's degree and a law degree because I hated it. I, I didn't like law school. But again, growing up in that blue collar old school mentality, if you start something, you have to finish it. So, you know, $90,000 later in student loans, coming out with a, a JD MBA and not enjoying the legal world, uh, I started to gravitate more towards business uh, and the business world. Had a, a great friend of mine, uh, Jeff Martin, who was my roommate at the time, started working for a company called New Day Financial in the uh, refinance mortgage industry. This was at the time of the great refi boom back in the early 2000s. And Jeff was coming home, putting giant checks, you know, in, in our, uh, in our apartment saying, Hey, this is what you need to do. You need to come work for us at new day. So I went over to new day financial and instead of working as a mortgage banker, uh, which is what Jeff did, I actually started working in the recruiting department. It was, uh, Bella, it was a very high turnover, uh, very high volume, very fast paced. Uh, industry where that's really where I cut my teeth uh, and and learned true recruiting. It was a phenomenal environment, phenomenal opportunity. We would work literally 12, 13 hours a day and not care because it was so much fun. Uh, you know, even Saturdays and Sundays we'd go in. So uh, did very well at New Day, became the manager of organizational development, uh, helped other recruiters uh, really come into their own and uh, was a mentor to many individuals coming through New Day. After New Day, uh, well, during New Day, I met my wife, Rebecca, down in Maryland. She's from a small town south of Syracuse called Cortland. Uh, put my resume online with her family's address. I got a call from a company, upstate New York, Clifton Park, said, hey, uh, we want you to open up our permanent placement division of our large-scale consulting company. So uh, moved to Clifton Park, didn't know a person, uh, did like the five biggest things you're ever supposed to do in your entire life in a very short amount of time. Bella, where got married, had a kid, sold the house, bought a house, changed jobs, moved states. Uh, you know, the biggest things you're really supposed to do in your life in probably six months time uh, and started running the permanent placement division for a company up here. 
Uh, did very well at that. Took the company from zero to a million dollars in fee in my first 18 months. Going through working for many companies uh, as an external recruiter, uh, I became friends with a gentleman named Sinclair Schuler. Sinclair was the CEO of Aprenda. Aprenda, again, going back to earlier in our conversation, was a platform as a service company headquartered in Troy, New York, with offices all across the world. Uh, he hired me as an external recruiter to place some software developers. Uh, I placed two folks there, and Sinclair literally grabbed me, and he's like, you're done. I was like, huh? He's like, yeah, your people are great. You're costing me way too much money in fee. I need to bring you on internally because we're going to go through some hyper growth. So I, you know, I'd never heard the term hyper growth. I was really just starting to, uh, to recruit for software individuals. So I ended up leaving my previous company going on to a friend that taking over as the VP of HR and recruiting. Uh, and the systems there were, were zero. They didn't have anything as far as recruiting went. I think their applicant tracking system was an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, and their, their, their interview style was, Hey, uh, we have a, a, a potential employee here. Do you want to meet them? Oh yeah. I got five minutes in the next 10 minutes. So it was very, uh, it was very shotgun style. And I, I, uh, I brought a rifle approach to that and, uh, implemented applicant tracking, implemented, uh, a real, uh, interview process. And again, ended up bringing that company to over a hundred people, uh, and growing the organization pretty rapidly. I think the, the most amount of hires I did in a year was 45 folks, mostly uh, fingers to keyboard developers and engineers. Fast forward a little bit, Aprenda doing very well, the market pivoted. Uh, our intention completely throughout was to exit, going through a couple of series, A, B, C, D. And uh, again, going back to earlier in our conversation uh, in 2018, started uh, my own company, Vantage Partners, being a recruiting and staffing agency. We could do anything at Vanta, but the door opener are really the developers and engineers. So for example, Bella, when you work for a client and you place the VP of engineering in three weeks time, holy crap, you did that flawlessly, pretty amazing. What about a client services person? Uh, you know, hey, we have an admin role open. I don't know if you do that. Um, you know, can you help place our sales folks? So the, the developers and engineers really uh, are the door opener to many other opportunities. Yeah. And we've been doing this for uh, over two years now. I'll get into in a little bit uh, our employees and how I found them and, and really the mentality and the, the drive behind Vanta. And it, it's been awesome. And I think the first thing you said when we logged on here was we have entrepreneur Dean Iacovetti here. I don't consider myself an entrepreneur. I actually termed it non-entrepreneur, right? I never wanted to run my own business. Uh, I, I never wanted to open up my own agency until kind of I was forced to do so. And I'm extremely glad that a few individuals uh, pushed me to do that. So uh, what was the sort of your biggest uh, surprise in starting your own business, right? What was the thing that you said either was, more, was either harder than you thought it would be or as much easier than you thought it would be? Uh, I mean, it's definitely hard from a perspective of putting in more time, but it's more rewarding because it's for you and your family and you're taking care of the clients and candidates. So it's extremely rewarding. What surprised me was, uh, I've always believed in myself, but I guess the passion and the energy comes through in, in conversations that 
potential clients had with me and they're like, you know what? It's a contingent search, which basically means we don't pay anything unless we hire one of your candidates. What the hell, Dean? You're a one man shop. We'll give you a shot. You know, nobody knew about Vanta Partners. Some folks in the local area, the capital region knew of me through Apprenda. Um, and I think that was a, a great door opener for me. But what surprised me was the, uh, the client base that I had very early on, which helped really catapult the business. I don't think I would have done as well in the long run, actually now, if I didn't have that solid client base to start. Yeah. Yeah. So that brings up an interesting point. Oftentimes, uh, in certain types of businesses, whether you're in sales or recruiting like you are, uh, and, and other type of, uh, sectors, uh, when you when you leave a company, sort of your Rolodex is your biggest asset, right? So you, yeah. you knew a bunch of people, your network. Now we call it the network. It used to be called the Rolodex, uh, and uh, that's your most important asset. So how do you how did you leverage that in getting your business started? Yeah, so I I relied on you know calling out the individuals that I knew and uh, a funny story of how I got my first client. Um, my attorney that I closed on our home with back in 2008 in Clifton Park, uh, a gentleman named Rick Serencione, who works for McNamee Lochner, uh, I was going through getting uh, my parents' home put in a, in a trust for my brother and I, and Rick was helping us do that. And, uh, it was, uh, June or actually May, 2018, when I went to see Rit and he's like, yeah, how's Apprenda going? You know, everything great. I'm like, ironically, today is the first day of starting my own business, Vanta Partners, kidding around saying, hey, Rit, you have any open roles at McNamee? And he's like, yeah, I do. Uh, you know, our, uh, one of our individuals is, is leaving after 30 years with us or something crazy. It's a ridiculous search. You probably won't be able to fill it, but what the heck, I'll be your first client. Here's a shot. Two weeks later, there was an offer on the table uh, for a candidate of mine that I cold called. So, uh, you know, leveraging the network, just constantly, you know, uh, doing the right thing is uh, a huge separator of Vanta from any other companies and and leveraging my network, um, you know, to make sure that I'm not only taking care of my candidates, but also my clients as well. It's a very weird dynamic recruiting. Uh, and, and in my opinion, again, I say it's the hardest uh, the hardest thing to do because you have a two-sided quote unquote sale, right? Where you're dealing with, with the candidate who needs to understand and enjoy what they're doing at the client. And then the client has to really understand and, uh, and, uh, take a leap of faith many times on how the candidate is, right? So you have a two-sided sale. And on top of all that, you're dealing with sometimes the most unreliable product on the planet and that's people, right? Sometimes, unfortunately, someone's going to tell you, Hey, they'll do something and they don't do it. Uh, I think the worst feeling in recruiting is to have someone accept the job uh, and not show up on day one. Uh, you know, and it's, it's, I've had that happen twice in my career and do everything, uh, not Advanta luckily, but do everything I can to prevent against that. Um, so it's, it's, uh, you know, it's definitely fun, challenging, rewarding, difficult, all, all wrapped in, into one. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. Now the, uh, 
what has been what has been sort of the biggest challenge in in starting and growing your business? The biggest challenge in starting the business and growing it. Um, so, uh, you know, things that are a little bit challenging shift from quarter to quarter. And now uh, I've been in business for a few years, year over year. Um, I could say the biggest challenge that we've had so far has been coronavirus. Uh, you know, a lot of these clients that were ready to hire in uh, February and March and actually had offers on the table, uh, paused those offers. Um, you know, they were in a similar boat to a lot of other companies where they didn't know how long this was going to go on. Were we going to be in a recession for six months, a year, two years, however long, who knew? Um, you know, so, so after now we're, we're kind of coming out, hopefully on the other side of it, they're starting to open things back up. So the biggest challenge for me so far has been, uh, COVID-19 and the coronavirus. I always say that the number of calls you receive is a direct correlation to the number of calls and reach outs you make. So I'm constantly emailing, calling, texting, trying to develop new leads. Who do you know working that referral network? So in my opinion, there are obviously businesses that are going to thrive during uh, coronavirus and you just have to be able to sort through the ones that aren't uh, and go through and find the ones that are actually hiring. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. So how big is, how big is uh, Vanta Partners now? How many employees do you have? Oh, we're, we're huge. <laughs> uh, right now it's myself uh, and I have one employee, full-time employee, gentleman named Ryan Burke. Uh, and Ryan is a special guy. Um, when I first started Vanta Partners, again, I mentioned that I had a pretty good client base immediately. And about three to six months in, I ran into a problem. It was a great problem to have, but it was a problem nonetheless, where I was getting too many, uh, what we call job orders or, or uh, recs to work on. And I didn't want my quality of candidate that I was presenting to these clients to suffer because I didn't want the Vanta name to be, uh, you know, to be associated with lackluster candidates. So I, I tapped out to my network. I looked around, there was probably three individuals that I would have loved to have hired at my company. Uh, and Ryan Burke was top of the list. I met him as we were both on a panel for Albany can code, uh, reviewing resumes and helping the graduates of that organization, which is phenomenal. And Ryan just impressed me from day one. He graduated college at Siena, went to work for a large outfit called tech systems, did, um, tech recruiting for them, not only from the candidate side, but also developing clients uh, from the account management side. And I called them. I said, Hey, Ryan, not sure if you remember me. Uh, I left the friend, I started my own business Vanta partners. Uh, I need a recruiter. Do you have any interest? He basically laughed at me. Um, and he's like, listen, you know, no offense, but I'm going from a multi million, maybe even billion dollar organization here in tech systems where all of the processes and procedures are in play, already established, been here a few years, doing well, climbing the corporate ladder, what have you. Uh, I, I can't take that leap and go for a one, you know, to a one person shop. Uh, you're, you're awesome, but I just can't do it. So after probably three, four, five months of calls, emails, texts to Ryan, you know, seeing him out and, and saying, hey, dude, just grab a coffee with me. Uh, he finally said, you know what? 
just to shut you up, I'm going to, I'm going to have a coffee with you. Uh, and we did that in, uh, what was that? Uh, February of 2000, maybe January of 2019. Uh, and he started working at Vanta, uh, in March of 2019 on, on his birthday, uh, which is a great, uh, a great day. We, we, we celebrated his one year anniversary and, uh, he's just a rock star. So as far as how big we are right now, internally recruiter wise, we're two people, but in my opinion, we're out working a lot of these companies that are five, 10 recruiters. We don't stop. Yeah. Uh, you know, my, my wife yells at me all the time, taking a call at nine, 10 o'clock at night. It's just, it's just the nature of the business, right? You just have to, you have to be on your game 24 hours a day, seven days a week, or else you're not going to be successful. Yeah. Well, that's a great story about recruiting him because it's, it's a long, lengthy process, and it's relationship-based, right? And it goes back exactly Absolutely. to what you said of how you work, right? So it's nice to hear yeah. that what, what you say is also how you do it, certainly even within your own business. Yeah, you know what? That's funny. I never even thought of it that way. But uh, again, teetering that line on, on being annoying and persistent. Right. And, 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 and oftentimes the best people are the ones that are currently employed. So you have to develop a relationship, right? Because their, their tendency is now I'm yep. not interested. Nah, I'm not interested. Right. So, so yeah. it, it takes that relationship. So that's great. Yeah. And what I often say is, listen, uh, you know, it, it's very rarely going to be that first opportunity I, I present to you. That's going to be a home run. You know, we have to, excuse me, develop the relationship so that I and other Vanta folks can truly understand What's ideal for you and your family? What do you want to do next? Why would you make this move, right? So a lot of the things are two, three, five layers deep. They're not just on the surface on a resume. We truly get into the mentality of the candidate and it's constantly changing, right? What, what a candidate wanted four months ago may be very different from what they want now. Do they want more money? Do they want a shorter commute? Do they want more flexibility? Uh, do they want their own office? You know, so, so we're constantly uh, taking notes and putting it into our system to stay on top of what is going to be ideal uh, for our candidates to be able to place them with our great clients. And we have an unbelievable track record of not only meeting the guarantee, which is typically 90 days, but exceeding it. I think uh, in our two-year history, there's probably one, maybe two individuals uh, that didn't make the guarantee and we'd replace them, uh, obviously at no cost, but, uh, Ryan and I, and whoever else joins Vanta, they have to be of the mentality that we're going to be in this for the long run. So even if that candidate may be a day outside of the guarantee, I'm not in the business of saying, ha ha, gotcha. You're on day 91. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to replace him. You have to pay another fee. I'm going to take care of that client, right? I'm going to take care of those individuals because I don't want just a one and done with them. I yeah. want them to look back and say, Vance is my recruiting agency of choice. They took care of me. They did a phenomenal job. And again, I always go back to do the right thing. Uh, and I, I'm an entrepreneur, right? I, I, I'm not a businessman. I'm a human being that wants to do the right thing. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I get back to the candidates, even if they're turned down. I don't just not speak to them again. I might be able to use them a couple of weeks down the road. Who knows? Right. Uh, there may be another opportunity coming for them down the road. So, uh, you know, I always say, wake up and make your family proud for me 
Um, you know, how am I going to get my three kids, Luca, Lily, and London, my wife, Rebecca, to, uh, you know, look at me with the utmost integrity and say, that's a great person. I want to be just like that. Or I'm, uh, I'm proud to be married to, to Dean. Yeah. So if I'm listening to this uh, podcast episode and uh, mm -hmm. I'm, uh, I'm a, uh, a software person, someone in your sweet spot, developer, um, and I want to get connected with you, how would I do that? Yep. Sure. So my cell phone, um, it's on 24-7. Everyone has it. It's 410-382-3648. Call me, text me. Uh, an email address is my first name, Dean, at Vanta Partners with an S dot I-O. Um, uh, you know, we work out of the Troy Innovation Garage in Troy, New York. It's a phenomenal shared workspace that just opened up. Uh, Tom Nardacci is the CEO of Aurelius Coworks, who owns uh, Troy Innovation Garage as well as Bull Moose Club. He's done a phenomenal job of creating these shared workspaces in the capital region. I actually get a bunch of business from them, uh, which is amazing. And, uh, th you know, these people can, can reach out to me, cell phone, text, email, show up to the garage. It doesn't matter. Uh, I'm going to try to do my best to take care of everybody that comes into contact with me. Super, super. I will make sure that information is in the show notes <clears throat> for our listeners. And uh, so, Great. Dean, if I'm, uh, if I'm interested in, uh, let's say I'm a recent graduate or I'm, I'm in school right now and I'm, I'm going to graduate soon and I'm interested in, in HR, uh, what would your advice be to a new graduate? Uh, and let's say they want to be, they want to get into the recruiting business. They want to, they want to get into what you're doing. What would your advice for yep. them be? Uh, you know, again, we look at things from our own experiences, right? We, we, we give advice based on our own experiences, whether it be good or bad. For me, if someone were graduating from college, looking at getting into HR, I would absolutely encourage those individuals to use the old school, just it's a lot of a lot of groundwork, right? It's a lot of creating the relationships. Uh, it's you're not going to be a rock star your first year, probably. Uh, you know, maybe year two or three is really where where you'll shine as far as recruiting goes. HR is a little bit different because in HR you're dealing with policies, procedures, uh, you know, things of that nature in specific companies internally. So uh, I could, you know, very much so speak to both of those, but uh, it's, it's a long-term play. It's not a quick thing. You're not going to be a rock star your first year, typically. Yeah. Do, do you think, uh, as a new graduate, it's best for folks to sort of go out and join a larger firm and sort of, you know, uh, learn the trade, learn the practical aspects of the trade there? Uh, I, I want to say yes and no. I think it's great because typically those larger firms will have a great training program uh, and they'll, they'll have a lot of these policies and procedures in play and their process down to be able to uh, overwhelmingly make successful recruiters. But I also say, no, look at the smaller companies. If they have time, if they have uh, budget, if they can bring on recruiters, because I think you'll get a little bit more one-on-one -on -one attention from those smaller outfits, those smaller agencies. So, you know, I don't think one's more beneficial to the other. I think both, it depends on the situation. Uh, it depends on the agency. Nice. Nice. So, uh, if I'm a, a budding entrepreneur or I'm thinking about starting my own professional services firm, right? You're fundamentally in the professional services sector, accountants, lawyers, recruiters, um, 
What advice would you have for someone who's who's thinking about starting their own professional services firm? Uh, it's probably going to be more work than you think, and it's it's going to be more rewarding than you think, right? So everything you do uh, has impact again, whether that's positive or negative, and just be in it for the long run. Don't gauge your business or your uh, your startup you know, week to week or month to month, you have to give it time, uh, especially in, you know, the day and age that we're in now sort of post Corona, it's going to be a difficult time to start that business, but be in it for the long run. I think that's the best advice I could give. Well, that's great. And be passionate about it, right? Be very passionate about what you do because it will come across and people will feed into that and believe in you if you believe in your business and yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Dean, this has been great. You've been a fabulous guest. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for sharing all your insights about recruiting uh, and your uh, growth uh, as an entrepreneur or a non-entrepreneur. Is that what you called it before? A, a non-entrepreneur. Non-entrepreneur. Thank you. Yeah, that, that's, I think you should trademark that. Uh, that's excellent. <laughs> so I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for, very much for being on the show. Well, awesome. Thank you so much. I truly appreciate your time. Well, Bela, that was a really interesting interview. And uh, Dean certainly has a great story. And the company that he founded is really interesting and is important, especially right now, given COVID. So I really like the line of questioning you took with him. Um, I totally agree. The world of remote work has shifted beneath our feet uh, over the last four months or so uh, in the COVID era. We're recording. Uh, we recorded the interview in June. Um, and I think it'll air sometime in August. And, uh, and yeah, it's really been a, a lot of change. Uh, and this is an area that you and I have talked about several times over the past few years in terms of uh, technology and work and, and being able to work from anywhere. And we've really seen this huge, huge change. So where do you sit right now on the concept of remote work? Um, how must entrepreneurs and business owners and managers in general adapt and how do workers need to adapt? Yeah, so I, I think this is still evolving, but it's interesting how we got here, right? So Remote work for most companies was sort of uh, a zero to 20% of the workforce type of a concept. And, and it, almost overnight, it went to 100% of the workforce. And, and, and so a lot of people adapted quickly. They did all sorts of things. And I think they're finding, finding that it works pretty good. Um, but I think it's, in many ways, I view it just as... Uh, as in your and I, in your field and my field in education, a hundred percent of anything, oftentimes is not the best blend, right? So there's this. I'm a firm believer in sort of hybrid education, which means doing some of it face to face and doing some of it online, because certain elements of what you do really lend itself to looking someone in the eye and being able to sit across the table from them and have a conversation, and other things that you do can certainly take place online. And I think work, uh, the workplace is very similar to that. There's certain things where you want to be in the same room. You want to have people together because there's a certain dynamic that happens. But do you have to do that for everything? I don't believe so. I think there's lots of things that can be done remotely and online. Look at our podcast. You're in Germany. I'm in the United States. Right. The guests that we've interviewed for the, the last 20, 30 of our guests have all been remote interviews. Uh, so we're getting you. It's a it's, and, and it's a learned skill. Right. It's something you learn. It's not you can't expect to go from 
again, I go back to being a, a professor from teaching in the classroom to teaching online overnight. It, it's, it's a different set of skills. And I think working remotely has a different set of skills involved in it too, both from an employee and an employer perspective, right? From a supervisor perspective, from a manager perspective, the skill sets are slightly different. You need to figure out different ways of interacting. So I think it's here to stay. Uh, and I think it will probably evolve into sort of a blend, sort of a blended environment. And if you think about it from the company's perspective, it's, it, it, it's, it's a huge cost savings thing, right? You don't need as much space. <laughs> you don't need to rent as much office space or own as many buildings and all that kind of stuff. So there's some cost savings there. There's certainly some convenience for employees. Uh, there's some benefits for employees. If you know, For some people, I understand they don't have the environment that works, right? They, they need to leave the house <laughs> and go someplace to work. Well, there's places that you can do that. Doesn't necessarily have to be in your traditional office. Oh, yeah. We've, we've talked to plenty of people who are involved in co-working spaces over the years, right? And post-COVID, that'll be a really good model for, for those people that need to get some quiet space um, out of the house. Yeah, exactly. And I think another big advantage here, both from an employee and an employer perspective, is the talent pool is now greatly expanded geographically, right? Before, you were going to hire people who live within 50 miles of where your house, where your business is or where you live, right? You're going to work for some company that's within 50 miles, let's say, in an hour, an hour and a half commute at the most, right? Well, now all of a sudden, those geographic boundaries have gotten sort of torn down. So that as an employee, you have a, a, a much broader uh, selection of opportunities. And the same thing is true for uh, employers. They can go and really target talent that they need that is not limited by geography as it has been in the past. So I think it's great. Yeah, I totally agree. And I mean, I think a big problem that employers had before was the issue of fairness or equity or equality, right? That some people get to do this and other people don't. And and I think what this has done is really everybody shows that, you know what, let's let the employee decide what's best for her or him. Uh, and then let's figure out how we can support them to do this. And hopefully that will stick because I do think that's a win-win. Um, I think something in particular that's interesting, though, is a lot of these cost savings are really cost, cost shifting. And the cost shifting goes from the employer to the employee, right? Even something like running the air conditioner or having the heat on in the winter. Um, you know, that used to be something the employer, the electricity to run your laptop, right? That was all uh, cost that the employer bore. And now it's not that those costs go away. They just get shifted, right, to the employee. So we need to remember that when we're thinking about wages and fairness and things like that to make sure that um, that, that those things are considered. Uh, so I find that that's kind of an interesting, interesting framework as well. But yeah, it's better for the environment in terms of less driving and less commuting. Um, so there's an environmental benefit there as well to letting some people work at home. But the big thing that I think figure out, especially if schools um, remain closed or semi-closed, is people with families. Um, and how can we better support people with families. You know this, and I think the, the listeners know this, I don't have kids, we don't have kids, we don't, we don't, we don't like kids. I mean, I kind of like kids, but you know, no kids, no pets, right? Very simple life. Um, but I completely support my colleagues who I've seen struggle with small kids, right? That are trying to manage kids at home um, and working and maintaining some semblance of professionalism. And I think that's where the question of not just remote versus non-remote work, but synchronous versus asynchronous. How much stuff do you actually need to be there in real time Okay, 
and that's when the dog is barking and the kid is crying or how much can I do asynchronously, right? When it's convenient for me, when the kid is taking a nap at night in the morning, um, when I do have some daycare arranged, something like that. So I think that'll be another dimension of this. It's not just online, offline, it's synchronous versus asynchronous. When do we have to be here at the same time or when do I have to have somebody doing something at specific hours versus when can I just trust this person to figure out when it's best for her or him to do it and get that work done. So it's actually the second layer of, it's almost a measure of a degree of trust, I think. Yeah. All right. That employers just have some trust in their employees, even though I think that trust was kind of a fallacy to begin with, right? That the employee was focused on work, even if when they were in the building and in their cubicle, right? That they were 100% devoted to work. I think that was BS. Anyways. So yeah, let's just be open about it. Let's not worry about some of the fairness issues. And let's really use this as an experiment to collect some data to see how productive our workforce can be and how engaged in the work and how um, how happy they can be with their jobs. And, you know, there's other things. Need to, I'm working on a paper right now, actually, that deals with this idea of affiliation. If I'm working from home and I don't feel an affiliation or some kind of good positive feeling about my organization because, yeah, we're there and I see people and I get positive feedback and, you know, maybe we have a softball team or we go out for lunch together or order in and, you know, there's kind of this um, these social connections, this, this, this team aspect of team and organization uh, is really important. And companies are going to have to figure out how to do that, right, right. remotely. Right. How do I keep my employees connected? How do I get them feeling loyal and engaged and know that hopefully I, that I care about them, right, as, as humans? Um, this is all wrapped up in this package of, of, of uh, remote work. And the idea of finding the right people, that's where, you know, people like Dean are great, right? That organizations can now go from a local to a global talent search and need somebody to advocate for those employees. I loved how Dean was talking about he advocates for his employees, right? If if they don't get feedback, he's going to call the the HR person and find out, right, what what happened, right? And and how can my my client do better? And I love the fact that we don't always view as, you know, I might need an advocate and it might cost me a little bit of money, but it's actually really good to have somebody like this advocating and negotiating for me on my behalf. What did you think of that? Um, uh, you know, the, the search firm is advocate. Is that something that you would buy into as a, as an entrepreneur? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I'm a big believer in, in, uh, recruiting firms or search firms, mm -hmm. uh, from both perspectives, from an employer perspective, uh, they help you sort of sort through the hundreds of resumes, right? And I've been in this situation where where you, where you're looking to find some talent, and and you know that's not the that's not the business we were in, right? We're a small company, we have 15 employees, we're trying to find a VP of marketing, and I I don't have time to sort through a hundred resumes and sort of narrow that list down to five, and and that's where. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're paying for time. That's, that, that's what you're trading, right? You're, and, and talent and some skill to know how to do that, right? This person does this day in and day out. They can, they can sort through the pretenders uh, and get them off the pile and, and, and kind of focus on, on the folks who are, are talented and, and know what to do. So I think it's a, it's a big value for employers and, and they're, the recruiter's network also comes into here, right? So they can find people that you can't find because we all know, and Dean said this, there, there's, there's, the, there's the people who answer job ads. And, and look, I reflect back on my own career. 
uh, I've had, as you know, uh, it's hard for me to hold a job for very long. So <laughs> I've, I've, I've switched careers. I've switched industries, right? I've had this very sort of dynamic uh, career. And out of all of those jobs I've had, and I think it's been 12 different jobs in the 45 years or so I've been working, uh, only one of them came from answering a job ad. Only one. And, and I answered a lot of job ads. <laughs> Boy, I used to answer job ads like crazy, right? And most of the time, it's radio silence. I got nothing back. So, so the point being is it's the network, it's who you know, it's the introductions that get your foot in the door. And that's where a recruiter can help you as, an, as a prospective employee, right? They can get you in the door. They can do that sorting for you. And they can give you an other view and other perspective of insight into that business. What's the culture like? What's the what's the you know environment like? What are what's the boss going to be like? And remember, the recruiter is not interested in necessarily placing you to fill that job. What they want to do is is place somebody to fill that job, and they want to have a good result. So they're motivated. So my point is, they're going to be honest with you, right? They're not, they're not trying to. If they're not like you're the only only candidate they have and they're trying to shove you in there so they get paid. No, no, that's not good for their long-term success either. They want to find the right candidate because it's the best for the company and the best for the candidate. And these recruiting companies, they're, that's what their reputation is based on. It's based on happy customers, both employees and employers. And I think that's what kind of came out from my one of the things that came out from my conversation with Dean is that it's this long-term building of businesses based on these repeated successful placements and, and that reputation. And that's all he has is his reputation, right? That's all he has. Yeah, but he saw that and he saw that hole and he filled it from his own bad experience, right? Which I thought was a great story. Yes, right? yes, exactly. The, the last thing I thought was really, well, the last thing I want to bring up given the time is this non-entrepreneur concept. I love this, right? This, you know, we haven't heard a lot about this, but I think there are a lot out there, right? Of these people who they never wanted to be an entrepreneur, right? But they just saw this need and it just kind of happened and they fell into it. But they didn't, I mean, we see, because we teach entrepreneurship, right? We see a lot of young people say, oh, I think I might like to be an entrepreneur, right? We see some that say, I definitely want to be an entrepreneur. But it's, you know, it's rare that somebody says, no, I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I just fell into this. Have you seen this before? And kind of from a, your VC perspective, what would happen if somebody got up in front of you and said, no, I, I don't have any interest in being an entrepreneur, but this need is there and somebody's got to do it. And it might as well be me. So to me, that's, that's, a, uh, that's just a label, right? If someone sees a need and fulfills it, in my own mind, they're an entrepreneur, <laughs> Right. Whether they want to be called that or not, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Right? right? It was like, you know, uh, uh, the word entrepreneur is really a, a recent phenomenon anyway, and it's become very fashionable in the, in the last 20 years. I'll tell you, when I graduated from college back in 1975, you know, people who, be, who started their own business were almost frowned upon. It was like, oh. Uh, you, you couldn't get hired by one of the big companies. What's wrong with you? Mm -hmm. And now it's that. I mean, that tide has totally shifted. So, mm -hmm. so to me, if 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 you see an opportunity and you go after it and you try to fulfill it somehow, that that's sort of one of the, my key pillars of the definition of an entrepreneur. 
And and whether you want to be labeled that or not, it, to me, it, it's, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And we still have some of that here in Germany as well, where it's still a little bit frowned upon kind of a, from an old school standpoint. We're a few decades behind the U.S. on that. And we're working to change that. Uh, but that is that is something around the world has a different people fe feel differently about entrepreneurs. But yeah, yeah, it's very I cultural. Thought, yeah, very cultural. It is very cultural. Right. And risk and uh, definitions of failure and things like this are fascinating. So, yeah, I mean, those were the, the big things that really struck me about the, uh, your interview with Dean. And what a great story. I mean, you look at his background and look at he kind of scrapped his way through and up and built a really nice business for himself and uh, is providing a lot of value to, like you said, both sides, both employers yeah. and the job seekers and the, the employees. And, uh, you know, what a nice way to, to make a living and really feeling like you're adding some value to, to the world. Yeah. Anything hey, Mike, else let, on your side? Yeah, let me just go back to this non-entrepreneur concept. Yep. But but here's the thing I have seen is is people find themselves in this situation of, oh, my God, now I need to build a business. Now I got to hire employees. Now I got to do HR stuff. Now I got to do all that, which they don't want to do. <laughs> they want to find opportunities and fulfill them. Right. They want to recognize opportunities in the business world and they want to develop products and services to fill them. <clears throat> That's what their skill set is. That's what they want to focus on which means you then need to find other talent to help you build out the rest of the business to move the ball further down the field for you, be, for you to be able to develop those products and services. And that's where people like Dean come in, right? So that I have seen, right? It's, it, not everybody wants to <clears throat> build a business. There's a difference between building a business and being an entrepreneur, right? Yep. Entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs recognize opportunity and they can, they can initiate action to fulfill that opportunity. That's different than having to build a business. And to build a business is a multidisciplinary, vast skill set that very few people actually have. And so you got to figure out how to surround yourself with people who can help you do that. And that's where a good recruiter can really help you a lot. Yeah, agreed. And, and he's followed that same philosophy in the sense that he only has one employee, right? You can build a successful business right. simply. Right. And you just don't um, you, you, you could easily grow a business like that and hire 15 people. But that's now you're not the entrepreneur. Right. You're the manager. Right. Right. Um, the, the and just changes. know what you want to do and design the business accordingly. We've seen you know, we've talked about this kind of the growth business versus the lifestyle business. Right. And however you want to frame it. But we've talked about that for years now. Um, and I think that's something that's really important that the entrepreneur uh, or the non-entrepreneur need to know that about her and or himself and to really kind of figure out what they want and then design the business to fill the opportunity and to meet their to meet their interests and what they want out of it yep <clears throat> yep all right mike with that time to wrap it up Let, yes right. sir all right so you know takeaways are today i think pretty interestingly enough is if you see a hole take it and if you want to think you're an entrepreneur that's totally fine but when you see an opportunity and you build something around it hey that's great and that's what this is all about is uh finding an opportunity and 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 doing something that uh makes you happy and earns you some money. That's a, that's a great thing. Uh, we talked about the importance of finding the right people for the job, no matter where they are, uh, and the value in having a recruiter help you both from the employer side and the employee side. And we talked about, uh, spent a lot of time talking about the kind of emerging role of, um, the, um, you know, working from home in the remote office kind of concept. Uh, and, uh, at the end of the day, I think that was a, a good use of an hour. So, 
listeners, thanks for joining us this week. We hope that uh, you found this a little bit thought-provoking as well. If you have questions about what we discussed, uh, don't hesitate to get in touch with us. Our email is bela.and.mike at gmail.com. Hey, and please do subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. So until next week, signing off from upstate New York, this is Bela. Hey, Mike, have a great week. Thanks. And from uh, Münster, Germany, signing off as well. And Bela, we'll talk to you soon. Bye.